Welcome to the Highfalutin Podcast. The Highfalutin Podcast is a conversational exploration into the topics of the day framed around a theme chosen in advance by your hosts, Monica Schrager, Ryan Norsworthy, and me, Matt McCarthy. The fifth episode of the Highfalutin Podcast is Justice. Hello, and welcome to the fifth episode of the Highfalutin Podcast. The theme we chose to explore for this episode is justice. We chose justice for a couple reasons, first being to recognize and remember Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who passed away last week and who left quite a legacy, particularly for women's rights and for the elimination of sex-based policies that impact both men and women. Second, we chose justice to recognize everything going on with racial injustice, and particularly Breonna Taylor and the verdict in her civil and criminal case that were recently determined. Her civil case was won and has resulted in reforms in policing in Louisville, but her criminal case didn't really provide the justice she deserved by having 32 bullets shot through the door and her being shot multiple times. The officer was fired, who fired was who fired the shots was fired, though not indicted of murdering her, instead indicted on wanton endangerment for shooting into neighbor apartments. Matt and Ryan, what are your thoughts on those two justice themes? Anger. Um Disappointment. I'm a, I was offended by those charges. To be charged for bullets flying into other people's apartments and not her is just outrageous. I, it's, I was really angry. I'm still angry. Um, it just, I, I don't know how such a uh, conclusion, it's hurtful how such a conclusion can be presented at all yeah i i found it like devastating but it's frankly not surprising and the um and i was really bummed out the day they announced the verdict and on pins and needles is there going to be you know what's the reaction going to be is there going to be violence is there going to be um because it's just another example of Ryan, like you said, the injustice, and it's just so obvious, and it's it's becoming like more and more plain every day. And uh, you know, I feel like most of this country recognizes there's a problem here, and the I, I don't understand why nothing gets done about it. And I mean, people are, and that's what you're seeing in the protests. And we talked about that some last week. People are frustrated, and I guess that's where I'm at. I'm just frustrated with the fact that this keeps happening, and and nothing gets done. You know, I I like to play a slightly positive bent in that there were reforms. You know, it it was total injustice in that those police officers didn't, you know, weren't criminally charged. But from the civil standpoint, she did win. And there were a number of reforms that had to happen in the police department as part of that civil suit. Um, So that is something, in my opinion. It's not enough, but it's a step. Yeah, I, I will give you that. But it's, I mean, it's the criminal, it's the, it's a precedent that it's just the same thing over and over. These, you think that if it's caught, I mean, this goes back to, you know, Rodney King. Um, mm-hmm. I think, I, I want to say that I read that the anniversary of, uh, now these gentlemen weren't, I don't believe, a, uh, I called them gentlemen. These police officers were, uh, acquitted um but i think it was on the anniversary of the gentleman the guys that um were accused of lynching uh emmett till uh Mm -hmm. and 55 uh uh, were uh it was the end of the same day so it's just history repeating itself and um even when when we try to serve justice it doesn't work out when it's when the victims are black nobody's ever held to account. Well, I mean, even, was, if, even if they're brought to trial, they're always freed. Well, not in the Chicago case. What was the Chicago case? And I can't remember. Uh, Laquan, Laquan. Yeah, a couple uh, of years ago. Like, I remember being in the office and that verdict coming down and um, everyone being really nervous because we were like, Chicago's going to erupt if this comes down in the wrong way. And it didn't. You know, that's one example of some justice correct. in that case. It's interesting with the with the Breonna Taylor case that none of the, the body cameras were on or anything. Mm. You know I mean? And that, I think, is one of the new criminal reforms within Louisville as a result yeah. now. But exactly, yeah. 
I mean, Monica, I admire you for being able to look at the silver lining. And I, I think it's important to try to, you know, stay positive to move forward. But uh, it's tough in this environment to stay positive totally. with what you see happening. You know, it totally. feels like every day or every week there's some new story in the news like this. And it just it it feels like it feels like it's not getting better. And there are some reforms happening. Are they meaningful enough to really make an impact? You know, I, I don't know. Um, but it's it just feels like we're in this cycle that we can't get out of. Yeah, I mean, you uh, you look at all the uh, protests and the symbolism in sports, and um, I walk around the neighborhood and I see uh, Black Lives Matter, you know, uh, slogans and, and posters everywhere, and it, it and then you get these verdicts, and it's just you you. I, I feel I'm just disappointed. And it, it's funny because I'm not surprised, but I'm still kind of, I'm still hurt by it. Um, it because it just keeps happening. And now, Highfalutin News. So talking a little bit about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, one of the important cases she represented early on was a widower who was challenging the Social Security Act, providing that paternal benefits only applied to widows with minor children. And his wife had died in childbirth, so he was denied all the rights and everything that a single parent would be facing. And unanimously, that was a Supreme Court win. And that wasn't only her only case representing men um, to break down sex discrimination that also impacted women. So these cases really helped lay the groundwork in eliminating a lot of discrimination against men, but also women, uh, but also as a result, women. So there's a new Facebook group called You Are Now RGB and a lot of people are posting information and details about how they used to have to put weight on their resume. And they were asked questions in interviews if they planned to have children and what birth control they were on. And they needed proof of birth control being a contingency of getting a job. There are also posts, even as recent as a few years ago, around car dealers refusing to talk to the woman and directing questions to the husband who continually tried to redirect back to the wife, and they ended up like walking out. Trump even, remember at a recent rally, asked wives if they had their husband's permission to be there. So misogyny is still present, but um, hardly the same as it used to be, but Ruth Bader Ginsburg had a lot to do with that. So really all of us, men and women, really owe her a huge debt of gratitude and a lot of respect. And my son came home yesterday with a picture drawn of her that said she was brave and hardworking and he's six years old. So it's really awesome that we're seeing sort of kids, you know, learning about her. I've seen a lot of pictures of like kids dressed like her on social media and wanting her book and really being sad at her death. So um, I even have a couple study earrings that my stepmother gave me of her collar a while ago that I wear in her honor. So um, it's just really nice to see the recognition that's going on. Here, here. I don't know, Matt and Ryan, what are your thoughts on the legacy of RGB? Jeez, I was muted. I was, RBG. Try I was trying to talk when I was muted. It's like every meeting I'm ever in. I need to do this again. Uh, I, you know, it makes me think uh, most immediately about, um, sadly enough, unfortunately, about her replacement um, and the movement to um, the, the, the flip-flop that the Republicans, uh, the GOP have, has done in trying to seat somebody when they wouldn't seat somebody for uh, President Obama. Um, uh, again, makes me just very angry and frustrated and uh, really disappointed. She was a wonderful person uh, from everything that I can see and obviously quite the trailblazer that we all owe a debt of gratitude to. Um, but uh, I'm concerned about her seat. Yeah. And it's completely hypocritical, obviously, for the Republicans. And I still hold out hope that um, something will happen that will prevent it, you know, or if it doesn't come election time, it will have an impact. Yeah. I, uh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I love the optimism, Monica, but I, I don't <laughs> I think the writing's on the wall here. I think that they're, they're going to fill that seat. 
you know, one of my first reactions along with obviously grief and shock, you know, and, and just reflecting on her legacy and what an amazing person she was and what an amazing citizen she was. I have to admit there was a little bit of like frustration and anger on my part that like, God, why didn't she step down under Obama? You know, like, why didn't she? So, you know, and like earlier the Obama administration, so he could have um, appointed a replacement, you know, and she was old and in failing health, you know, before the end of Obama's term. And uh, I, part of me was, you know, shaking my fist at the heavens and like hubris, you know, and um, just wishing that she would have stepped down. And, you know, it's too important to like, I think there was an arrogance amongst the Democrats where we would just assume that Hillary was going to win that election, you know, and like when, when the GOP came out and tried to, you know, wouldn't hear the, the Merrick Garland appointment. Um, I think everybody kind of shrugged their shoulders and say, yeah, so what, you know, we'll get them, we'll get them across when Hillary is president. And then obviously it didn't play out like that. And that is some like liberal democratic hubris. I think that like, you know, you can't take anything for granted and you have to, you know, the, the Supreme court is too important. Um, but that being said, I'm... like, Sorry, no, you, you go ahead. I mean, I didn't, I, just don't, I don't think they took it for granted. I think they were pushing for the Merrick Garland. They just didn't have the ability to do it. So. Yeah. I, I mean, it's just, it's um, my mother always reminds me that, uh, these Supreme Court justices are for life. And they've shaped so much. We tend to forget about them because, you know, they're not as present as, uh, say, the, the, the tweets a lot president or, you know, uh, Congress and they're in action. Um, but the worst president ever has had three appointees. Um, and that is a large reason why he has the support that he does, because regardless of all his foolishness and tweets, um, he is putting up very conservative judges and, um, he's been quite successful with that. And it's, um, it could be a, a major shift in the way things go in the future. Uh, women's reproductive rights, um, you know, uh, racial inequality. These are all things before the court. Um, and it's being filled by very conservative judges now. And I feel bad that, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was hoping for that liberal majority she never got. Um, and exactly like you say, uh, it's, it's a lifetime appointment. Maybe it shouldn't be. There has been discussion really of like adjusting the number in the court. If there, if the, you know, there is a democratic president and Congress next We'd have time, to have a democratic it. Senate too, right? Because I mean, and, yeah. and I think that's another thing that both those instances showed me, the Merrick Garland mm -hmm. and, and what's happening right now at the Ruth Bader Ginsburg is the Senate really holds the juice and mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like they have a lot of power and the, mm -hmm. um, and until you take back the Senate, you're going to see more of these shenanigans, I think, you know, from the right. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, oh, yeah. You know, they, the buck kind of stops with the Senate. And, the, um, you know, Romney coming out and saying he was going to support the successor was really disappointing. Um, yeah. You know, and I don't, there's not many of their, I think there's two Republicans who have who've said that they are, are not going to, but that's not enough. Um the Senate, it, it, there's something broken right now in the system, it feels like to me, where the, the Senate just has too much power, you know, out of the division of government. And um, as a result, they've got, you know, they've been able to to swing the judiciary their way as well. And that that's scary to me. And, you know, now they have the judiciary, the Senate and the executive, and there's not much there's not much you can do right now in that environment. And I don't know how just that is, you know, I mean, they're not representing the majority of Americans. They didn't win that no. election with the plurality, you know, they, they won it on some technicality in the, in the, you know, electoral college. And um, it's strange that that segment of the population wields such enormous power right now. Yeah. We've started to see though, um, some changes in local elections and Senate elections even, um, where you're getting people who are more representative of the public, like on, on the Congress side, AOC, for example, but there's a movement too in a number of different areas. So the hope is that we will not all continue to have old white men representing populations that are not all of all of old white men. I think we're starting to see change there. It might take time, but I'm hopeful with the election. We have to, have yeah, hope, I, right? Yes. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I think that um, 
these this election coming up, I think we're going to see unprecedented, um, you know, turnout. Um, I think, you know, if there is a silver lining um, and looking forward, that it, it would be that um, you have to literally be living under a rock to <laughs> not realize what's at stake um, in this uh, election. Um, and I think that message has been. I, I hope that message has been clear to everybody. I mean, it's always been clear to me. I always vote, but I don't think that, um, you know, what is, what is, there, uh, anybody have an idea of like, what is it like 60% of people that eligible to vote, vote, you know? Yeah. It, it might I even be less than that. I think it's less than 50. Yeah. yeah. Although, although let's like already early voting started in some states and there have been long lines. People are coming out, which is great. Yeah. It has um, started and- in Illinois. Yesterday. I know, but it's, yeah, but it's, you got to go downtown, right, for it, or it's, or it's not, so. yeah, I think it actually officially opens, um, anyway, I don't it know. It was yesterday, I looked, I looked it up yesterday, it was, but there it was some, res- but there was it's some not restriction. Every, you can't just yeah. go to every, uh, yeah. yes, every polling place yeah. is not open, there are yeah. only certain places, yeah. but it, early voting has started, yeah. um, and I believe that my polling place is uh, already open, so I'm going to go vote. I know. Yeah. Well, there are huge lines, which is awesome. People are coming out to early vote, you know, in person. And I know a lot of people are looking into where the ballot boxes are available in different states so that they don't aren't just mailing their ballot in through the United Postal Service, but they're taking it to where it needs to be and dropped up and dropping it off. I have a friend in Nicaragua who dropped his off at the embassy. I've seen pictures of people in Tanzania mailing theirs off. So granted, you know, people are getting involved. So it's good to see. What about uh, Trump's comments this week, though, that, you know, about transfer of power? Did you guys see that in the news? That he's, he's saying that he may not, you know, well, it depends how it shakes out. And I don't, it depends what the ballots look like. And uh, when asked, you know, if he would, if he would honor the peaceful transition of power. Um, I don't think there's any reason to believe he will, you know. You know and- what? Yeah, I'm, I'm choosing not to worry about that right now. You know, like, I, let's get him out. And then once he's out, you know, they'll get him out. It's ironic to me, though, obviously, the, you know, he's a law and order guy, right? He's trying to he's trying to spin himself as the law and order. And, you know, that's what their platform is based on the Republicans right now, the law and order stuff. Right. Because they're trying to appeal to people who are like who are made nervous by all the protests and all the activism going on right now. And um, how can you portray yourself a as a law and order guy when like all this stuff is happening on your watch and you can't put a stop to it and b like the transfer of power is like the most fundamental, you know, backbone of the constitution. You know, how can you just toss that out the window and say, I may ignore that, but I'm the law and order guy. Like it's just so hypocritical and so transparent. And again, so frustrating to me that like half the country can't see this or is, or sees it and is willing to just shrug their shoulders and look the other way because the economy or whatever. Um, It's just, the hypocrisy is totally stunning to me and it, it just is so consistent on the Republican side at every front. Oh yeah. No, I totally agree. However, there was some sweet justice this week when he went to visit Ruth Bader Ginsburg at the Supreme court and was <laughs> greeted by chance of vote him out, which I don't think he's seen before. You know, I think everything, every public display um, instance he's been at has been very protected and made and, and been full of people who support him. So it was great to kind of, See him face some protests. Oh, he'll just chalk that up to outside agitators, you know. <laughs> sure, he yeah. will. But hey, it was still good to see. It happened. Positive, it happened. my yes. friend. Positive. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez, Matt's um, going all negative on everything. I'm not trying to go negative, but it's, it's, well, like it's it's hard not to with with this president and president and this when we talk about justice and and we're surrounded by injustice and hypocrisy. That's that's at the heart of this. I mean, it's just. It's, I mean, it's hard to be positive when powerful people are able to get away with things unchecked like that to me is like the you know a, a great glaring example of injustice and i feel like that's where we're at right now in this country well yes however what are we going to do about it how are we going to instill some impact and change and it's totally normal to feel kind of grief and frustrated about it but um also you know you got to have hope and you know, starting to see things happen with election turnout, with um, police reform. Granted, it's slow, and I'm hopeful in the election we'll see some changes as well. Whatever happened to campaign finance reform? 
I mean, it just dies, you know, like because you can't you can't get anybody who's like running for anything to stand for it because they need those, you know, they need that money. <laughs> I know. You know? You're right. Yeah. But but I don't think that like anything changes until you start to pull some of the private money out of the public office, you know, and mm-hmm. until that changes, it's just going to be the same every election cycle. I feel like they're not going to do that because there's a business in that itself, mm-hmm. right? And as long as people, you know, that's the way uh, this. That's the way things work here, unfortunately. And um, it's foolhardy to think otherwise. So coming back a little bit to racial injustice, um, I heard actually a Chicago priest on the radio this week saying that he thought police unions should be abolished. And that made me do a little research. And I realized that there there isn't enough accountability in the police force. And that really dates back to a 1974 Law Enforcement Officer Bill of Rights that came out in Maryland. It was the first of its kind and gave police officers protections, such as giving them a formal waiting period before they had to cooperate with internal inquiries into the conduct, scrubbing records of complaints brought against officers after a certain time and ensuring that only fellow officers and not civilians could investigate them. And it seemed to have, seems to have had a profound impact. 15 states have adopted it and it's continued to be a big obstacle to police accountability. Whenever mayors or police chiefs have wanted to reform, they've come up against this bill. So it sounds like there are actually grassroots efforts and even larger efforts to abolish this Bill of Rights in general. And I think we started to see some of that progress in Louisville with um, some of the reform that was tied to the civil case um, with Breonna Taylor. But it sounds like this is something, you know, everyone should maybe look into and start to support the abolishing of that in their neighborhood communities. I mean, it's, I, I like the the talk about like abolishing the the Bill of Rights or trying to figure out some countermeasure for that, but it like it, it makes me uneasy when we talk about like abolishing the union. The, um, I, you know, well, organized labor is something I like. The uh, and you know, I'm not happy with policing in this country right now, but uh, I don't know that I, I'm ready to say like you know they shouldn't have the right to organize. Well, I think the unions. Sure. And that's one thing to say, but if we look at historically what they've done, and in some cases they've protected cops who shouldn't have been protected. But I mean, the and, unions do that for their membership, you know. I mean, well, yeah, yeah but, but then I mean, the union rights should be maybe minimized. The, I mean, the, everybody deserves a, a fair trial, right? So um, they, I mean, uh, even the horrible people get a fair, you know, they get a lawyer. So, yeah. I mean, they're, I, I, Matt, you brought up a point that I hadn't quite thought of in, in that, you know, they sh- they do have the right to organize and, 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 and protect one another. The problem is, is that um, they, at, we can, we've already talked about the many examples of them not being held accountable when it matters. Um, and uh, I think what Monica's talking about is, you know, that, this this particular bill um, is has provided a great deal of cover, um, and it probably needs to be chipped away at. Um, I agree with that. Be, yeah, 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 like whether it be on above the law. Or, yeah, but that might have an impact then on union. On union. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure the union will fight it, right? I'm sure the union will fight yeah, it. Of course they will. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but also, if it gets put in place, they will not always be able to protect in the way that they have historically. I think, you know, one thing to think about too is ongoing training and a lot of roles you have, you know, things change, technology changes, process changes. So you constantly get that up, that training. I think that's something from a reform standpoint that could, that we're starting to see. And I think could happen maybe a little bit more is we're asking police officers to deal with the mentally ill. We're asking them to deal with the homeless. And um, I don't think they've traditionally been, you know, aware of a lot of the resources are how to manage those situations. So there's been a lot of discussion about involving more social workers and providing more training. And there was a great article a few months ago I read about a police officer had just done, I think it was in Kentucky or some other state, had just gone through some mental illness training and he was called to the scene of a woman who was acting erratically um, and she had her small child. And he said that basically according to the books, he could have shot her, but he was like using this training that he learned and he finally kind of talked her into kind of coming with him to go to the hospital. But what he didn't know is there was a backstory there. Like this woman was bipolar, had been on meds, had gone off them to have a baby and to nurse her child. And she wanted to go back on them, but due to COVID, she couldn't get in, um, you know, to her doctor's office to get them. So it was just really an interesting story about how, I mean, this was just one example, but you know, 
obviously, if we're going to continue to ask our police officers to deal with the mentally ill and to deal with, you know, the homeless and to deal with a variety of situations, they'll need more training and they'll need more tools and ideally partner up with social agencies and social workers that can help provide some of that. Well, I mean, isn't that what the whole, like, I mean, it's a terribly named, but isn't that what the whole defund uh, yep. mm-hmm. police movement is mm-hmm. about? Um, and I think that it's a tough job. And I think um, it's a ridiculously tough job. Part of the reason it's so tough is because they're asked to do a, a ridiculous amount of things that they're not qualified to do. Um, that Some of them that you just named, you know, dealing with uh, the mentally ill and dealing with, um, um, they're just, it's kind of a, you call the you call nine one one and they send the police, but that's not the police aren't necessarily the best equipped to handle some of the problems that uh, they are asked to, um, and that's part of the problem. Um, it's um, on top of you know some of the things we already discussed. So I, we need we need to. I mean, I, I, the just thing to do would be to reexamine the way we police in this nation mm-hmm. um, and. Uh, I don't think uh, that's ever been more clear than it is now. Yeah, definitely. And now, highfalutin arts. So the when we uh, picked justice as a theme, I was trying to think of the 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 right way to approach the the arts scene through the lens of justice, and I started to think about the role of art in social justice. Art is a great way to get a message across, right? It's this universal language that that breaks down barriers between cultures. And and the first example that popped into my head when I was thinking about it, like what's some way that like art has been used to try to affect change or to or to shine a light on an injustice is that Guernica painting by Picasso that that's so famous. The, the you know during the spanish civil war the franco was kind of aligned with the nazis kind of not formally but they were they were pals and kind of cut from the same cloth and um franco allowed hitler to bomb the town of guernica for two hours um one day and it was obviously it's a famous massacre and the town was destroyed and in 37, Picasso painted Guernica, which is a startling, you know, wonderful, huge painting um, and very affecting. It's hanging in Madrid right now. And um, you know, I had the opportunity to see it and it was amazing. Um, but he completed that for the Spanish display at the 1937 Paris International Exposition. And that painting made a statement around the world. It really shone a light on um, what was happening in Spain with the Civil War, the way that that Hitler and the Nazis were were collaborating with Franco, and the the horrible injustice that that happened at Guernica, and um, it made me kind of start to look around, like thinking about the Guernica painting and that example made me start to look around and wonder, like, where are the examples of of the art that's coming out of of the injustice that we're seeing right now. What, what are the artists doing to try to, to shine a light on, on what's happening in the news with the, and you know, and I do see some things. Um, I get the New Yorker every week, you know, and they've had wonderful covers every week. There's been obviously some music that's come out of it that tries to, to highlight some of the things that are going on. Um, but I wish there was more and I'm not seeing like this great, you know, towering example of like, you know, what is a work that as an artist has done that is that is really trying to shine a light on the injustices that are going on right now. And I'm sure there are things out there and I'm hoping that people will, you know, go to our Facebook page or go to our website, highfalutinmedia.com and, and leave a comment and, and hit me to, to whatever these, you know, these things are right now. But I, I'd like to... You know, I, 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 you know, I'd like to send out a call to arms to the artists that are out there right now listening potentially to, uh, you know, let's get our act together and let's start trying to use art to shine a light on, on some of these injustices that we're, we're experiencing right now. Yeah, you know what, we talked about this a little bit in the last um, podcast, I think, but we've seen some great street art. There is an awesome mural that's gone up in Kentucky around Breonna Taylor. Mm-hmm. You know, like I think Ryan mentioned in our last one, a lot of the boards that have put up um, to cover, you know, um, storefronts yep. <clears throat> during potential protests out of concern have had some great art on them. I actually walked by um, a park recently that has some of those boards up on them yeah. to display to people. So I think we're going to see personally, a lot more street art, which I think I'm excited to see. Um, 
because I love street art and the murals that come out of that. So I think we're starting already in that area to see a lot of great. Um, the murals is, is a great example. Like I do see those popping up and those are positive and inspiring and beautiful. You know, those are great. And they do draw attention to it in public spaces, which is great. Well, it's tough too, because uh, I mean, during, and because there's a pandemic going on, we aren't, um, we're sharing in different ways. So that's a great you know, point. Yeah. We can't necessarily go to, uh, a concert where somebody might have, you know, something very inspiring to say. Yeah. Uh, films and, too. I, I just saw that Hollywood is delaying the release of the, the new slate of films because of COVID, you know, and yeah, uh, I mean, it's, yeah. yeah, sorry. Well, I, I have been to the art Institute twice in the last two weeks. It is. Have you open. Really? Wow. Yep. They are. Um, I'm a member and they are, um, you know, you have to wear a mask while you're in there. Um, as, I think they might be doing time tickets for other people, for people who are not members, but I've been there twice, saw the Monet exhibit, saw El Greco, saw the Toulouse Lautrec exhibit. So it's a great way to go and look at some, you, you know, get, did you have to get an appointment? I'm a member and I did yeah. not. So I don't know if you have to, if you're not a member, but if y'all want to come with me as members sometime, I welcome it. I would love to. We will keep our social distance, but let's plan on it. <laughs> You're so brave. How many people were in the museum? Was it crowded? You know, it wasn't too crowded. I think they keep that, you know, pretty well managed. Well, that's how, I was going to ask, how do they do that then? I mean, that's there like a line outside, like a queue where they're waiting to let people out. Right. They might be doing tickets for non-members. Okay. You know, I, well, like I, most tickets. places are. Yeah, most yeah. places are doing time tickets for non-members um, that I've seen. But as a member, I think you can walk in. And I think obviously if there was an overcrowding or not. Granted, all the people who work there were so nice. I think they're so excited to have people back. They're like, can I help you? Do you need some help? <laughs> do you want me to drink? So I think they're so excited that people are, you know, coming back. But wow. I will take you all if you'd like to go. So Ryan will work on it. Please. I saw Steppenwolf just announced that they're going to do a bunch of virtual shows that you can subscribe mm -hmm. to. And the, uh, we're looking to do that. Also the Chicago film festival is uh, coming up and there's a bunch of things you can do. You can right. um, log in to, to view some of that stuff virtually and see it like opening night and stuff. There's that new uh, Belushi documentary that's going to kick off the Chicago film festival that I'm interested to see. Um, yeah. There's, Sorry, there's an open uh, mic in the park, actually, that I saw a note about. Open mic in a concert in Humboldt Park by the Boathouse tonight. Um, so we're starting to see some things happen, which is great. I think it's also, I mean, it's just things take a time. Take time. I mean, um, obviously, you know, uh, we're not uh, consuming uh, art in the same way that we normally would. So um, I think, I think I, I'm almost certain that we'll see a, a great deal of art um, uh, that is going to come out of these times uh, with the pandemic and the injustice. I think we're going to see a lot of it. It just hasn't quite happened yet. I, yeah, I totally I, agree with that. I totally agree with that. Yeah, I think it's coming. I mean, I think it's, I, I think it's kind of brewing right now. Mm -hmm. I mean, the last and, gr really big like artistic statement around like a social justice issue that I that really like moved me that impacted me was that D'Angelo album, that Black Messiah album, right? It came out yeah. like like at a really timely moment when you know that this was he he kind of rushed the production after after an eleven year <laughs> wait he had kind of rushed the production of it at the end um, mm -hmm. to to make a statement to make a social justice statement. And I'd like to see, and it, and it was such an amazing album and he's such an amazing artist. So it was a powerful statement. And I, I would love to see more of that happening. And I'm Ryan, I'm sure you're right. We will see it. So um, what were the circumstances? I mean, it was, uh, cause that was 2015, correct? It was, I mean, that was, you know, much like they are today. It was, we were, you know, we were seeing a lot of, that was kind of the start of like the Black Lives Matter stuff. That was the, you know, Kaepernick kneeling stuff. That was, you know, that was the, it was the same stuff we're talking about today. It's yeah. On the verge of the election and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Laquan McDonald. It was all that, you know. So uh, coming back to arts too, I want to talk a little bit about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. There's Please. a lot of art around her mm -hmm. <clears throat> right now. Like if you look online, you know, I have those stud earrings. People are buying the collars. People are making pillows. Like she's, she's got a lot of art around her, her, which is great that people are starting to consume. So if you are a supporter of her, go ahead and buy some and support her in that way. Um, also, if you guys watch the Emmys on Friday night, both or Sunday night, both Uzo Aduba, who won for her awesome performance of Shirley Chisholm in Mrs. America, which I've talked about um, before, and Regina King, who won for Watchmen, um, both wore Breonna Taylor shirts. And in their media interviews, they talked about racial injustice. And then they weren't even the only ones, like Sterling K. Brown wore a Black Lives Matter shirt. And Damon Lindoff, who's the writer of Watchmen, wore a shirt that said, remember Tulsa 21. And that show is largely... Um, 
attributed to really informing a lot of people about what happened in Tulsa in 1921 and the slaughtering of the black community by a bunch of white scared men there. And they've recently been doing more in Tulsa to recognize it and that show alone, I think, or contributed a lot to that. So um, that's kind of cool to see in the arts, um, more of that representation. And then I'm also continually reminded of Janelle Monae's song, Hell You Tall Bout, Tall Bout home bout, which I first heard David Byrne and his orchestra play in on Broadway in their show at America Utopia. And he said he like asked her about playing it. And she said, it's a song for everyone. And by the way, too, Spike Lee just directed an HBO version of that show, America Utopia, that's out that I totally recommend everyone watch. But also the song, it says the name of different victims of police brutality with like the refrain being say his name, say her name. Um, and she first sang it at the Women's March in 2016. And it's um, an awesome song. So I'd say listen to her version, listen to David Burns version, and then also watch that show, um, which Spike Lee directed on HBO. Eric, you told you. Did you watch the Emmys? Is that what you're telling us? I, I know I watched the highlights afterwards. Okay. <laughs> you know, I watched, I looked at the news afterwards and it was highlighting how, you know, um, you know, social, social. I heard uh, it had record low viewership. I heard that too, but I can see why. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of stuff uh, going on right now. Uh, I don't know yeah. that Janelle Monae song. I'll have to go check it out. That's great. It's awesome. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I, I, yeah. And now highfalutin sports. So I personally felt a really great sense of loss this week when we heard about the passing of Gail Sayers. So I first learned about him when I saw Brian's song when I was little, about seven or eight. I was living in Africa at the time and we got videos through the embassy and my dad brought one home for all of us to watch. And it just impressed on me a lot. One from Chicago, Chicago Bears. But we even named our dog after, after Piccolo after we saw that movie. But even after that, as I grew up, I looked more into Gail Sayers and learned more about, you know, really what a great person and player he was. And, you know, I'm glad that movie gave me a chance to be introduced to him. Um, but what it also illustrated was that great example of friendship between two people of completely different backgrounds and ethnicities, black and white, which was even a great example, I think, in society today um, that we need more of. Um, and so it was sad to hear about his passing, but it was just he was a good person and a Chicago bear. So wanted to recognize that. Yeah. The Kansas comet, the, uh, uh, six touchdowns in a game. I think he was the first guy to ever do that. The, uh, um, yeah, he was an amazing player. The, I don't know that much about him as a man, sadly, you know, and he was a player before my time. The, uh, that movie's a classic though. The, you know, Billy D Williams, James <laughs> Conn and the, uh, you know, I want to say that the, uh, like, that the Chicago Bears organization was involved in that. Like, I think Mike McCaskey was a producer on it or something like that. And, but um, at any rate, yeah, it was sad to see that for sure. The um, very, very sad. Gail Sears, legend. And if you look at his highlight videos, they're pretty cool. Oh yeah, so 18 inches of daylight. That was his thing. Right? All I need is <laughs> yeah. 18 inches of daylight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. I forgot about that clip, yeah. Yeah, yeah. For those yeah. that saw him, they say, you know, he's unrivaled. Um, you know, one of the one of the greats. Uh, short career um, and uh, probably gone too soon. Yeah, he was definitely one of supposed to be one of the prettiest open field runners of all time. And like when Barry Sanders came around, they started comparing Barry Sanders to him. Some um, he was also, you know, in that game where he scored the six touchdowns. I think he returned two punts for touchdowns or something like that. So he's a great kick returner too. Um, that was back in the days when they played at Wrigley Field. So you watch those clips, and they're all at you know at the old Wrigley Field. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So those are neat to watch. That was the same draft the Bears in like I think I want to say it was '61. They got. Gail Sayers and Dick Buckus in the same draft. Really? And then, like, still never had very good teams. <laughs> We've had challenges. Yeah, yeah. I guess, uh, <laughs> speaking of injustice, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. When will the Bears get a good quarterback and That's win right. the Super Bowl again? That's hmm. right. One of the things in the sports uh, world that I saw in the news in the last couple of weeks that, I, that made me pause and wonder is that just was uh big 10 is going to play football they, they announced and some of the college conferences are starting to to wake up and say yeah we want to try to get some games in this year and that really made me pause and wonder like for these student athletes who have been like denied the right to to organize and who have been denied the right to be to be 
compensated for for what they do on behalf of the university um that you're going to go ahead and put them in harm's way and 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 let them play football and potentially you know travel around the country and get covid um for some money for you know school spirit rah rah i don't know but it, it doesn't it didn't strike me as a real just decision um, that's just my take and i know there's a lot of people who are pining for for big 10 football and are very grateful to see it and i am like i said with the pro football stuff last week i was really excited to see the pro football and i'm watching it but i think there's a distinction and a difference between pro athletes and, and college athletes and i think asking pro athletes to to go out and play for millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars is a lot different than you know asking some 19 year old kid for you know to go out there and keep playing for a scholarship yeah uh it's not just um and i i imagine that'll be spun that the players want to play and you know uh i i think there's some fear about um falling behind their peers um you know because other conferences are playing and um you know if there's a chance at the national you know title they you know they have to get in so many games and stuff but I think it's all it's bad motivations. Um, I, I, what is to gain? I, I think there's so much more to lose than there is to gain. I don't understand why um, it's, I don't think it's, I don't think it's safe right now. And um, for obvious reasons. And uh, I was shocked that they had such an about face. Um, nothing's changed that, I don't understand what, why the flip flop, why, you know, because they got pressure from fans. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't understand that. It doesn't seem right to me. I think, um, I think safety should be above all, uh, the biggest concern, especially when, it, I mean, no, it's, it's, these are kids. So, I mean, they're not, like you like you pointed out, they're not they're not getting paid for this. So, and it, I, I mean, in some of these cases, they're not allowed on campus, but they're going to play football. I don't, I don't well, know. And if a student athlete said, you know, I'm a little uncomfortable with this, would the university say that's fine? Keep your scholarship, <laughs> you know, play next year. You know, would they would do they have that option? I I, well, I, I mean, here's something as well, like. Wisconsin was just added to the, uh, I, yeah. I forget what they officially call the list, but if you travel and spend- The governor just declared an emergency there because of the- Right, thing. so yeah, so if you go there, if you go to Wisconsin, um, which is right over the border and stay there, for, I believe overnight, you have to, if you come return to Illinois, you have, you're supposed to self-quarantine for two weeks. So how is it going to work with the University of Wisconsin? Well, the the university know. just, they just shut it down for two weeks because they had a spike of COVID. And now they're asking, they're, they're resuming courses there, but they're asking students to move out of the residence halls if they are able. Um, and they'll give refunds, prorated refunds to them and stuff. But the, the colleges, you know, you see the colleges starting up and stopping again. And I, I don't know what they think is going to happen, but um, uh yeah. Ryan, you said something interesting when you were talking that, that struck a chord with me that it just doesn't feel right. Right. Like the, just, you know, you, you think it's not like this decision they made, it just doesn't feel right to you. Right. And I think no. that's the litmus test for me for like, is it just, or is it, you know, like there was a, a famous, I, I want to say it was a Supreme court decision about, you know, pornography and what is pornography. And they said, and like, I, I remember like reading in the decision, they said, well, it's hard to define, but we all know it when we see it, you know? And, um, and that's, I, I feel like that's the, the, the case with justice, right? And what's unjust and what's just is like, it, it doesn't feel right, you know? And um, we know it when we, when it's, when it's unjust and, and they can't spin it any other way. I think people, I think they won are trying to say that increases in COVID testing allows them to be a lot more, you know, prepared, although we'll, we'll remain to see how that, how that actually come, turns out. But also I've been reading, there are, there are some high school players who are concerned about, I think their scholarships to college. So they're moving to different states to go to school in person to play in those different states. So there is, yeah, so there is a desire like by some players to want to play. And I realize that the responsibility should be at the larger level and should be a little bit more responsible, but there is a love of the game. I mean, that... with those high school players, you have to remember like 
you, you're, you're, those are miners, right? And the miners make poor decisions, and the, uh, they're renowned for it, you know. And the uh, like, <laughs> no, these are these are parents. Like their parents are so wanting to support need, them, and their parents are making the decision to move them across state to play football. Th- those are some crazy ass parents. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I'm sorry. The uh, I don't mean to be judgmental, but but you can, yeah, like you can always find examples of of, yeah. of people doing you know totally totally ridiculous things. Um, and obviously, you know, sport it's hyper competitive, and some you know, there's those. I I remember as soon as the ruling, or as soon as the the, the Big Ten said that they weren't going to play before they said they were. Um, the first people to get upset were the players' parents. Mm-hmm. I, I it just uh, it just struck me. It's just like what you know. I don't. I didn't. I really don't understand. Um, of course, we all want things to go back to normal, but they're not. Not normal. And no. yeah, football's I mean, not I'm a sure priority. The, I'm sure the players are disappointed, and the parents are trying to advocate for them or whatever. But that's you know. Like you just said, football's not a priority. I mean, and I know that this is like, oh, this is Johnny's future or whatever. It probably isn't, you know, like, I mean, <laughs> you know, like he's probably not going to go pro. And if he does, he might be pro for, you know, five, seven years. Or something. It's not his future, you know. Well, let's think that a lot of players do sometimes come from not that great socioeconomic backgrounds. And this is a lifeline. It, you know, it is, it an is opportunity. A Yes, but it's, um, it's, it's going to be an asterisk year no matter what. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, uh, some conferences aren't planned. You know, it's not going to be, um, it's not going to be business as usual. And so I don't, uh, well, I have a coworker. yeah, I have a coworker that's like taking a, a gap year um, from school. Um, and I think it's, I think he's the wisest one of the bunch where, I, cause his, his peers are paying, you know, full freight for a lesser college experience. And they're not getting ahead. I, I don't. I, I, the universities are scrambling now to, you know, to put courses that were on ground online, and it's not a very good experience for a lot of people. And yeah, it's it's tough. Well, my uh, my younger sister started at NC State this year, and she originally moved into the dorms in early August, and had to move home because there were some, it, you know, not long after and then ended up getting, cause they shut the dorms and then she ended up getting a place off campus with some of her roommates, but they all got COVID. Oh, um, so, so it's, yeah, it's been crazy experience. I think for all colleges, they're losing money and Matt, you're in that industry. So I think you're aware they're yeah, struggling they're, to figure out. All the universities are, are hemorrhaging money right now. And, uh, you know, they, they make a lot of their dough on student services and, you know, all the, you know, student housing and things like that. And a lot of that money they're having to forfeit. So, and then they're having to spend a bunch of money to, you know, try to get these courses online. Um, so yeah, it's a tough time for universities. There's no doubt about it. And now some final thoughts. So one, as you all have probably heard throughout this messaging, I remain hopeful and positive. And I think we just have to keep up the fight for justice, both in honor of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and honor of Breonna Taylor and really all the others who have been impacted by social and racial injustice. Um, obviously we've said it before, but get out and vote, read up on what's happening to educate yourself as a lifelong learner. Also let's take care of the earth because it is climate week this week as well. And there has been some really great changes going on with, um, you know, California and Michigan in particular deciding to, you know, really take action in that area. So do what you can to help make the world a better place in all areas now and in the future. Glad you mentioned that because climate justice is such an important topic right now. If we have to vote, that's, I mean, that's, I, I think that's my ta- uh, takeaway is the only way to deal with um, unfairness, injustice is uh, we have to get some more effective leaders in uh, key positions. And um, we're not going to be able to do that if we allow that, you know, powerful minority to change the rules and, and, and monkey with the whole system to get things their way uh, again and again. Um, the only way to, uh, there's more of us than them, and uh, we can exercise that by uh, voting. That's the, that's the peaceful protest vote. 
Well, you heard Monica talk about uh, hope and optimism, you know, and I, I, I guess I'm feeling a little more frustrated and resigned this week. The uh, um, my, my key takeaway is that the I don't think the people in power care much about justice, frankly. And um, I think that the, the people in government who are at the top, you know, they don't care about it except for how it serves their needs. And, you know, Trump's talking about law and order and justice. And, you know, does he really care about it? No, he's trying to swing votes. If he really cared about it, he'd be on the other side of the, the social justice issues, you know, and, and he, would, he wouldn't be talking about not going through with a peaceful transfer of power. Um, I think that, you know, you don't get people at the top starting to care about social justice until you start to take some of the money out of it um, or about justice in general, frankly. Um, and as long as that money stays in there and people have to kind of be a little bit corrupt in order to get all that money, I don't know how you're going to make those people really care about justice. Um, and it, it's not just at the top of government. It's the top of businesses. It's the top of these, you know, top universities who you know that need to be bottom line focused um i again and again and again we see them making decisions that don't seem like they are based on wanting to do the just thing um and they can spin that any way they want but we know it when we see it we close each episode of the highfalutin podcast with a poem that relates to our theme in this episode, we've talked about Breonna Taylor and racial injustice in the world. And the poem that came to mind while talking and thinking through that was Still I Rise by Maya Angelou. And that poem came to mind because uh, it is about a black woman who's consistently downtrodden and pushed away and feeling broken yet perseveres and consistently says, regardless of what happens, still I'll rise. Still I Rise by Maya Angelou. You may write me down in history with your bitter, twisted lies. You may trod me in the very dirt, but still, like dust, I'll rise. Does my sassiness upset you? Why are you beset with gloom? Cause I walk like I've got oil wells pumping in my living room. Just like moons and like suns with the certainty of tides, just like hope springing high, still I'll rise. Did you wanna see me broken, bowed head and lowered eyes? Shoulders falling down like teardrops, weakened by my soulful cries. Does my haughtiness offend you? Don't you take it awful hard, because I laugh like I've got gold mines digging in my own backyard. You may shoot me with your words, you may cut me with your eyes, you may kill me with your hatefulness, but still, like air, I'll rise. Does my sexiness upset you? Does it come as a surprise that I dance like I've got diamonds at the meeting of my thighs? Out of the huts of history's shame, I rise. Up from the past that's rooted in pain, I rise. I'm a black ocean leaping and wide, welling and swelling, I bear in the tide. Leaving behind nights of terror and fear, I rise. Into a daybreak that's wondrous, wondrously clear, I rise. Bringing the gifts that my ancestors gave, I am the hope and the hope of the slave. I rise, I rise, I rise. Thank you for listening to the Highfalutin Podcast. Please make sure to check our website, highfalutinmedia.com, for more episodes and related content.